0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host,
1: Pete Mikaitis.
0: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us for episode 314 with Laura Vanderkam. I think you'll really love this conversation. If you ever feel busy (laughs) like there's just too much to do and you just don't have any time well laura takes direct aim at this ubiquitous problem and has some real research-based solutions and suggestions best practices to share for how to deal with it and just feel amazing like you got all the time in the world wouldn't that be refreshing well it is possible so you'll learn one how those who feel their time is vast spend their day two how to draw more energy by acknowledging the three selves And three, how to stretch your experience of time. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F314. Now here's Laura's story. Laura's the author of several time management and productivity books like Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done. I know how she does it how successful women make the most of their time and what the most successful people do before breakfast and 168 hours. You have more time than you think. Laura's work has appeared in publications including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, City Journal, Fortune, and Fast Company. She's appeared on numerous television programs, radio segments, and has spoken about time and productivity to audiences of all sizes. Her TED Talk, How to Gain Control of Your Time, has been viewed more than 5 million times. She is the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of the podcast Best of Both Worlds. Thanks to Laura for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a 1 billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number 1 in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com/beawesome. That's linkedin.com/b e a w e s o m e as in you are being awesome, be awesome to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply here is Laura. Laura, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, first, I want to hear about this story behind you singing at Carnegie Hall. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, I included that as my odd thing about me. So I've sung for many years in various choirs and I lived in New York for quite a while. And one of the things that is sometimes an opportunity is that a choir might do a show in Carnegie Hall. I mean, either an orchestra needs a choir for a bit or a, a singer needs a backup or sometimes, you know, choirs will rent it out. And so I've had a couple of those different experiences where I've been able to sing in that amazing space. so.
0: Oh, multiple kind of, times. Like, Excellent. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's, it's really about proximity and then <laughs> also taking up these opportunities. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a, a beautiful place to sing.
0: And I have to ask, it's so corny, but did you ever ask anyone for directions to Carnegie Hall and did you get the, the old joke response?
1: Uh, I believe that I have in the sense of I, I would get into a Cab and you know say please take me to Carnegie Hall and then somebody guffaws. But uh, no, I'm. Uh, it's it's the same thing. You know, you live in New York for a while. These things that are sort of cultural touchstones elsewhere, you realize are, are not necessarily. I mean, so I think I used to think like Broadway. Oh, Broadway is this mythical place. You know, then I realize it's a street, <laughs> <laughs> and the district is named for a street. And so it's, it's more that certain theaters are associated with being high end, you know, first run plays and all that. And so those are considered being on Broadway, but it's not like they're only on Broadway mm-hmm. <laughs> they're on various, various streets around there as well. So yeah, you, you learn these things. So the
0: cab driver didn't say, well, the only way to get there is practice, There's practice, practice.
1: practice. Well, <laughs> and, and also that I'll drive you there. and <laughs> you <pay my>
0: <laughs> Okay. Understood. Established. Well, well, tell us about your your latest book. You, you've got several, and this is your latest. It's called "Off the Clock." What's the big idea here?
1: Well, "Off the Clock" is about how to feel less busy while getting more done and in essence it's about how some people who have a lot going on in their lives still have this sense of time freedom they feel like they do have time for the things they want to do they feel like time is expansive that it's not slipping away from them that it feels good and so i wanted to learn these people's secrets you know what are they doing with their lives what are they doing with their hours and and what can the rest of us learn from that
0: that that's so fascinating and so you use the term a lot uh, time perception can you sort of define that in terms of of how you you think about it what it looks sounds feels like as well as how you defined it precisely in your research
1: so time perception is just what it sounds like how we perceive time and, and time obviously keeps moving along at the same rate regardless 24 hours a day 168 hours a week but you think about different times of our life feel very different maybe like a week of summer camp when you were 12 felt very very long whereas for most people as adults this past week probably didn't feel that big for you. I mean, you may have very few memories of the past week of what makes it stand out for you more than anything else. But it's also about, you know, whether you feel like you have the time for the things that you want to do, like whether you feel in control of your time, whether you feel present or distracted, whether you simultaneously feel like time is rushing by too quickly at times. And that also you spend a lot of time wishing minutes away. Um, that's a that's an unfortunate aspect of time perception many people are sitting there in a boring meeting being like i really wish it was 11 o'clock already time slipping from one side of the hourglass to the other and sometimes we're trying to shove it along even more quickly so time perception in my research though had a more specific definition Uh, i recruited for off the clock 900 people who had full-time jobs and who also had families uh, to track their time for a day Uh, march monday March 27, 2017 was the day they recorded what they were doing on that day and then answered various questions about how they felt about their time. And these were various questions like, you know, yesterday I generally felt present rather than distracted or yesterday I generally felt I had enough time for the things I wanted to do. And also questions about their life in general. Broadly, I have enough time for the things I want to do. I spend time in ways that make me happy. Various questions like this. People get scores. They answer on these from strongly disagree to strongly agree. You know, Assign those a one through seven point scale. And so the people with the high time perception scores were the ones who strongly agreed with various statements of time abundance like that, that they felt like they had enough time for the things they wanted to do. People with low perception scores felt the opposite. And so then I could compare the schedules of people who had high time perception scores and people who had low time perception scores and see what, how their lives were actually different.
0: Well, so what's so intriguing there is it sounds like for the most, more or less the amount of actual quote unquote free time that they had was, was probably somewhat comparable Like they do have full-time jobs and they do have, have children and, and spouses to tend to. So they're they're sort of in a similar band there, and yet I'd like to get a sense from you just how much of a spread was there between their, their time perception. So we got a one to seven. I mean, did we get the full gamut there? We got some full blown ones and full blown sevens.
1: Yeah. People who are down in the, you know, close to the single digit, probably not exactly in the single digit. with anything like this. Very few people put ones or sevens on everything. Um, that's one of the reasons we give so many options, uh, in general, most people like to be in the middle, (laughs) but there's you know, giving people seven allows them to have the degrees within that. So people will give you a two or three answer or they will give you a five or six. And those are different. Um, most people won't say a one or seven, regardless. But uh that yeah, no, there there were people who felt pretty bad about their time. And then there were people who felt pretty awesome about it too. And uh yeah, no, they were all sort of objectively the same amount of busyness. You know, between it was interesting to see what wasn't different. Pretty much everyone in the sample worked somewhere between seven and nine hours on that March Monday, which makes sense. You know, they all have full-time jobs. That's pretty much what a full-time job means. Uh, And, you know, all had various family obligations and, and such. So yeah, we're not talking a huge range in terms of what time was available. So some of the differences were really in how they spent that discretionary time. So, people who felt like that a lot of time, for instance, were more likely to do what I kind of consider higher quality uh, leisure activities, things like actively getting together with family or friends, reading, exercise doing various, what I call sort of like memorable activities. They had little adventures they've done in in their evenings, uh, more interesting than one might think for a Monday night. Whereas the people who had low time perception scores um, were, were more likely to spend a big chunk of that time watching TV or being on social media or other such electronic ways of spending time.
0: That's so fascinating because, wow, we do have the same hours in the day, just sort of the nature of the planet and the sun and how that works. And yet the perceptions are, are vastly different. And you could find that link there between their perception and the actual activities that they were engaged in. So it sounds like it wasn't so much that the folks were, you know, reading or getting together with friends for more leisure hours than those who were on on social media or TV hours.
1: No, I mean, the the times themselves were were not appreciably different because, again, yes, we all have 24 hours in a day. But it's just what you choose to do with this time that you do have available to you. I mean, if you think about the time before you go to bed, many adults, even those who are raising children, have some quantity of leisure time before they go to bed in the evening. Uh, What do you choose to do with it? And it turns out that if you spend that time, like on Facebook, looking at photos of people you didn't like in high school anyway, you feel like you have less time than if you spend that time actually talking with your spouse or calling a friend or reading a book, that those are all sort of activities that make you feel like I'm the kind of person who has the time to do these things. And and that's where the high time perception comes from.
0: Fascinating. And and can you share a little bit in terms of you know, it certainly sounds more pleasant to operate in a world in which you perceive that you have enough time but could you maybe unpack that all, all the further in terms of what are the advantages of, of having a high time perception
1: well in general you'll probably be happier <laughs> because feeling rushed and harried is, is obviously associated with high levels of stress and, and that's no fun for anyone but it's, it's also you know about being effective because when you feel more in control of your time then you're more likely to spend it in ways that are meaningful. For you. So, you know, the people who felt like they generally had time for the things that they want to do, this is not particularly surprising, but they were highly likely to report that they had made progress on personal or professional goals in the previous 24 hours. So, when you feel like you have enough time, you feel like you can allocate it to things that matter to you. And so that's what people were doing. Whereas when you feel like time is just getting away from you, like you have no grasp on, on time, then you don't feel in a, in a powerful enough position to allocate those hours to the things that are important to you. You sort of just react to what's coming in.
0: Well, so it's intriguing the the specific uses of time, what, what folks were doing and, and how that, that played an impact or a role. I, I guess I'm wondering, you know, how does one... Cross the chasm there if if you have a low time perception and you're feeling like oh my gosh I don't have enough hours in the day to handle everything to becoming one of those joyous folk who, who think that they've got plenty of time.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's the goal of a self help book, um, and, uh, and those are the strategies I, I try to share in this book. Is what were these people doing differently? Because it's it's one thing to tell you that yes, yeah, some people perceive time differently than others, but that's somewhat not helpful for anyone who who would like to live a fulfilling and rewarding life, so there there are seven strategies that I identified that um, people with high time perception scores were were more likely to use uh, I mean just a few of them though just you know if people are thinking about this, like what can I do more immediately? One thing is is figure out where your time is actually going and and I know that sounds like maybe something people don 't really want to do, <laughs> um, but uh, keeping track of your time is one of the best ways to see, well, here's where it's actually going. And then you can ask, do I like this? Do I not like this? And being able to make that decision with good data Allows you to make changes in a a way that's more effective than if you're just sort of operating from various stories, like, oh, I have no time for anything. Well, if you are telling yourself you have no time for anything, it's hard to do anything about that. But if you track your time and say, oh, well, I see that I was watching TV for two hours in the evening and I keep telling myself I'd like to read more, maybe I could read for an hour and then turn on the TV. Wow, well, that's an interesting idea. And then it turns out you will probably feel like you have more time if you are willing to make a change like that. You know, one one other finding that was somewhat surprising, but was definitely there. Was that the people with the highest time perception scores were highly likely to do kind of interesting and out of the ordinary things, even though this was a very normal March Monday that they were recording? One person who responded to my story had actually gone to salsa dancing lessons. That was on her time log for the evening. Um, somebody else went to like a big band concert on this Monday evening. Uh, but there's even more, you know, pedestrian stuff like going to a movie on Monday night or, or meeting a friend for a drink or taking the family to the park after dinner instead of sitting around watching TV. So, you know, choosing to do interesting things with your time makes you feel like you're the kind of person who does interesting things with his or her time. And again, that's a a thing that makes you feel in control. makes you feel like you are in a good place with, with this and, you know, can expand your experience of time.
0: Well, I guess what, where I think maybe the rubber meets the road in terms of, am I going to watch TV or am I going to read a book? Am I going to browse social media or am I going to get together with a friend I think in, in those moments is well one I guess is just kind of planning ahead in terms of you have a plan and you're going to meet somebody but I think the other one is is often just oh that just seems like so much work you know <laughs> I'd be so exhausted yeah. to change and leave the house and and do this because I've just been so you know beat down or whatever so it seems like the the energy factor is huge in terms of. What do folks think they can even handle, you know, taking on and doing, say, on, on a Monday evening? So do you address that perspective?
1: I do. And I think what you need to realize with that energy question is that the self has, please stick with me, people are going to turn off the podcast here, <laughs> but I think this is an interesting point. The self, um, various psychologists have looked at this behavioral thing, the is really three selves. There's the part of you that is thinking forward to the future, so the anticipating self, the experiencing self, which is what you are feeling in the here and now, you know, going through life, and then the remembering self, which is the part that is thinking back to things you have done in the past. And these are all three part of us, but the issue, and I quote this philosopher saying this, is that we pamper the present like a spoiled child. We pay very much attention to our experiencing self, which makes sense. It's how we're going through life. But it's really only one actor in what should be a three-actor play. Like our anticipating self and our remembering selves are the ones who want us to go to salsa dancing lessons on a Monday night because it sounds awesome. And when we get back, we'll be really happy we did it. Like nobody ever exercises and like, gosh, that was a horrible idea. Like it it feels great once you do it, right? You know, and meeting your friends at the class, hearing the great music, Like, it's going to be awesome. But you have to get yourself in the car and go do it. And that's when you're experiencing self throws this temper tantrum like, no, I don't want to. So what you really have to do is this idea of just plan it in, do it anyway. Like you will draw energy from meaningful things. If you are not, you know, completely and totally exhausted, like you have some energy, right? Like you could maybe, you know, walk out to your front door or something as opposed to being like just completely passed out on the couch. Like if you could get yourself that far, like probably you could make yourself do it. And if you think about how the other versions of yourself would react to this and pay attention to them, then suddenly that sometimes that can nudge you to pay a little bit less attention to the experiencing self.
0: Boy, that is just a master key for life right there. Wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, paying attention to how you feel right now is not actually the best way to go through life because, you know, our physical bodies are not always happy to move. (laughs) but then you'll never do anything. You'll do only effortless fun, which is the TV and web surfing. And you won't do the effortful fun, which is getting together with a friend, which is going to the salsa dancing lesson, which is even just like going for a walk with your family. I mean, these are things that they will be great once you've done them, but you have to make yourself do them.
0: Well, it's interesting in terms of just the anticipating part. You're right. In terms of you can draw energy from remembering, Hey, that was a cool thing that happened. Yeah. I'm glad I did that, as well as there's a cool thing that's happening soon. I'm looking forward to that. And so then it, it's sort of even making the present experiencing self a little bit more fueled to to begin going there. I, I'm sort of visualizing just a very beautiful virtuous cycle or vicious cycle in terms of w- whether you start to, to build in some, some great stuff versus you are just always sort of devoid of great stuff and doing the the low effort fun.
1: Yeah, because it's the effortful fun that we really have the memories of. I mean, it's the difference between looking at photos on Instagram of other people's dinner parties or having your own dinner party. They are both ways you can spend your leisure time. One obviously takes a lot more effort than the other, but one is going to be a lot more fun than the other. One will make you you know very very happy will create great memories you could look forward to it you can uh, remember it afterwards you will enjoy it a lot at the moment but you also have to invite the people and get the food to your house and you know that that takes effort but effortful fun tends to be the fun we remember.
0: Well, can you tell us about some of these other practices, uh, such as lingering?
1: Lingering is about being able to stretch the present. And it's not about, you know, enjoy every minute. Like, you can't enjoy every minute. There are pl- plenty of minutes in life are just not actually enjoyable. Uh, But you can choose to enjoy the enjoyable ones more and to sort of linger in their happening and thus stretch the experience of time. Part of that is about the anticipating and remembering of it. Um, If you plan stuff in ahead of time that you know will be enjoyable, you can look forward to it. And that kind of makes it bigger in your mind. Uh, you can also attempt to be fully present during the experience itself. You can note that you're having fun. <laughs> There's a certain mental thing. It's, like, it's not enough just to have fun. You want to be aware that you're having fun. And and you can tell other people that you're enjoying yourself. You can make sure you're remembering details. And then after the fact, you can tell people about your fun or you know, journal about it or whatever you want to do. Look through old photos because that makes the memory come back and then you experience the pleasure a, a second time. So all of these these things can make any given unit of time seem more vast by making it more memorable
0: well it's interesting as, as you sort of unpack this it seems like maybe one easy way to to get started and have your cake and eat it too could just be looking at some of your photos like you don't even have to change out of your pajamas to do that and then in and looking at those it, it brings back memory like oh yeah that was really cool and then it also provides a bit of a nudge and inspiration for you know hey I I should do some more of this stuff and and it kind of gets the the train in motion
1: it, it does and you know people talk about dwelling in the past as being a negative thing and I don't think that's the case at all i mean this is how we create our stories of who we are there's a big part of our identity is what our past is and we can nurture this relationship with the past as well to make it more of this living thing that that helps us through the present as opposed to something that's kind of just buried in a dusty drawer somewhere
0: that's really cool well i also wanted to to get your take on people on a plane who are doing facebook how does that (laughs) rub you
1: you know, you do you, right? <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's one of those, I mean, if you're traveling, probably most of the people on the plane in the middle of the week are traveling for work. Like, these are busy people, right? They've like, they got a lot going on in their lives. They're probably the kind of people who are saying, oh, I never have time for XYZ, I Y, Z. I don't have time to read. I don't have time to think. I don't have time to relax. I don't have time to take a nap. Well, the plane provides opportunities for, for all these things. I mean, you're there for three hours, it's relatively quiet, or you know, you so, said you know can be if you put your headphones on and there's generally very few distractions um if you don't choose to then, you know, get the Wi-Fi and start checking Facebook. So it's a great time for that kind of focused work that people say they never get a chance for, or you know, if you, you're not comfortable working on the plane for, for whatever reason it's a great time to read. You, you can, you know, make it through a, a great book in, in the, the three hours you're in, in the air. So using this time intentionally, as opposed to just using it for the same thing that people use their bits of time for the rest of their lives is a great way to actually feel like you have more time.
0: Well, you have a great line and I don't know if it's an original or if you're, you're quoting a third party here, you say the, the fear of boredom, is a culprit of a Waste of Time.
1: Yeah, the, I, was, I, I mean, the original impetus for that came from a, a great novel, I read Edith Wharton. She's best known for The Age of Innocence, um, or Ethan Fromm. Um, but she has a, a book that most people, I guess, haven't read because it went out of print at some point, but it's called Twilight Sleep. And, and the heroine of this book is this bustling, productive woman. I mean, this is 1920, so it's a, a different sort of, of productivity than we think of now. But she is basically terrified of having an empty hour. <laughs> And she uh, will fill it with whatever she possibly can, just to to avoid the sense of having to think of of everything. And and I think that happens for us too. Like if you think about why you reach for your phone when you've got a few minutes, I mean, you can tell yourself, "Oh, look at me! I'm being productive. I'm deleting email." But like, yeah, there's nothing coming in. You really need to delete at this moment. Like especially if you looked at it ten minutes ago. <laughs> Like it's not, um, there's nothing there. It's just that we don't actually want to sit there and be bored and that's fine, but there's other things you can do with little bits of time, um, that, that might be more meaningful or enjoyable and and help you feel like you actually do have more time than when you have leisure time and you chop it up into these tiny bits through checking the phone.
0: I want to talk about the tiny bits in the phone piece because you, you successfully read the entire book. War and Peace, I understand, primarily using the, the Kindle app on your phone. Is, is this true?
1: That is true.
0: <laughs> no, that, that's wild, you know, in terms of... Because when...
1: There are people who are going to tell me, like, that my eyesight's got to be going. <laughs> doing that, but uh, it was little bits here and there.
0: <laughs> well, because I guess that's sort of... We talk about the energy piece. I, I think sometimes when I... It just even conceiving reading War and Peace sounds huge, epic, massive, and then it, taking a moment to to read some. I, I guess my my brain goes to this place, and it's it's probably false. So set me straight here. It's like, oh boy, War and Peace. That's pretty intense. That's going to really require a whole lot of cognitive capability from me. you. Got to bring some good smart energy, and and I probably can't do this in like a three minute bit to to make a tiny tiny bites of progress to finish it because I got to remember where we were before and sort of get into the scene and the characters and, and and the picture that's being painted and the themes and all that. So, so how do you think about to what extent is it really manageable and doable to chop up something into, into tiny bits and to have that work out for you?
1: Well, I mean, the, the great thing about Tolstoy is he does it for you. So people think of war and peace as being this huge, intense, long novel and it is very long, but the chapters are actually very short. Um, if you look at the print book, most of the chapters are two to three pages. So in fact, it's a book that lends itself incredibly well, um, to reading on say the Kindle app in five minute spurts while you are waiting for a phone call to start while you are waiting for a bus, um, while you're waiting for your kid at soccer practice or whatever, because these chapters are literally five minutes reading material. <laughs> there are a lot of them, but they are very, very short, uh, which, you know, it's it's one of the ways that Tolstoy keeps the story moving along, but he's a very good writer. Um, there's a reason this book is still around as opposed to it uh, being, you know, disappeared into the Ash heap of history, as they say. So, you know, first I would say it's not as intimidating as it might sound. Um, you, you could read it in those in those five-minute chunks. But if it's not Warren Peet, like, you could read a poem in five minutes, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's a, a, a unit of itself. So load a book of poems on your Kindle and then read one when you've got five minutes. And, you know, if you like it, read it again the next time you open it. Or, you know, if you weren't so cool on it, move to the next one. But using those little chunks of time for reading poetry as opposed to deleting j crew ads that have been emailed to you like just feels entirely different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell me more about the how you would articulate the distinction in terms of j crew deletion versus reading poem.
1: <laughs> well, one is, is really doing nothing for you, I guess is, is the best way to say. It. Deleting email feels incredibly productive. I, I know. It, it, and the reason is that, you know, what gets measured gets done. And, and who knows if we made progress on our most important personal and professional goals today, but I know for sure that I got down from 150 unread messages to 75. So like, yeah, go meet, right? Whereas Many other things do not lend themselves so easily to numbers, and so it's harder to necessarily feel productive doing them. But, you know, poetry takes the brain to great places. It's, you know, how we can see things that, that we wouldn't have brought our minds to before, great emotions, ideas in history or that real people have gone through or or memories, that can evoke memories if we have something similar to what it's getting at, or, you know, just taking the brain into a completely different and higher level than making sure the inbox goes from 150 down to 75. And, you know, if you want to view it in terms of, of productivity, I don't, I don't know if poetry lends itself to productivity, but I do know that giving our brains space to think about bigger things is often where we start to get good ideas.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that notion that there's sort of that there's a theme associated with those who have high time perception is that they are doing things that were kind of unique and broke up the the monotony and and a poem i think that's very clever is that that's a that's a short way that goes about breaking up that monotony and and, and so one thing i do it's it's kind of weird but i don't care i love it <laughs> is is i will take a short break and sort of go to my backyard and jump on a trampoline for just a couple minutes and and, and that's kind of like the opposite of you know being at a computer in terms of I'm standing I'm bouncing I am outdoors and 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 it's it's very quick and sure enough there's something to that notion of doing something that is just the opposite or or very much different on multiple dimensions than than the baseline
1: That's a great idea. I mean one of the things I talk about people should do is, is planning in breaks during their days in order to manage their energy. I mean, what happens is people are like, oh, look at me. I'm working all hard. I'm working through lunch. Look how productive I'm being. And then, you know, around 2, o'clock in the afternoon, they're reading the same email six times in a row and then falling down some sort of internet rabbit hole because their brain needs a break and they're not taking one. Um, and so the brain forces the issue. Whereas your trampoline break like hits on all sorts of different dimensions. I mean, A, you're outside um, so getting fresh air adds to most people's energy levels. You're getting physical activity, another thing that adds to most people's energy levels. So, you know, this, this is a great way to just whatever you were depleted from before to recharge yourself um, so you can get right back to work.
0: You had a nice a turn of a phrase about we're often in denial about taking a break. Uh, what does that look like in practice and how can we break better?
1: Well, if you think about most of these social media breaks that people take during the day, a lot of those are kind of these, these fake breaks that you, you think you're still being productive because look at me, I'm still sitting at my computer, right? Like if somebody walked by, it looks like I'm still working, but no, you are not. I mean, you're, you're on, on whatever thing you're reading headlines that are not remotely associated with your, your job. It's, it's just, You need a break from whatever it was you were doing. And so you go over and do this other thing that is sort of effortlessly pleasurable and um, is a break, but then you don't consider it a break. And it's not actually all that rejuvenating either. Like it doesn't necessarily add to your energy levels to read headlines. Often it takes from it if it makes you stressed out about whatever is going on in the world. So you know better to take a real break um, to go jump on your trampoline and if that 's what you do or, or go read for five minutes, read something real away from your screen um, or go outside or have a cup of tea or whatever it is, but you know go talk to a work friend whose company you really enjoy. do something that is a true break because then you will be able to come back to work restored the The, the fake breaks just don't do that um and and so then we're we 're still dealing with the low energy levels afterwards
0: and do you have a, a personal take on? work time versus break time, the, the right to rhythm, intervals, flow, ratio there. <laughs>
1: I- no, I mean, you know there's been various studies and uh, people trot out in the productivity world have been trying to find what it is. I would assume most people couldn't go more than ninety minutes um, before taking some sort of break and in many cases, it's probably less if it's if it's more intense type of work uh, you know you can you can kind of make yourself do it to a degree by like drinking a lot of water and you have to get up and refill your bottle or go to the bathroom or something those are all ways to kind of force yourself to get up and stand but you know I think it's it's less time than you might think. Like if you're you're trying to work straight through in the afternoon, like you know, one o'clock to five o'clock, probably you're not being as efficient as you would be if you put a break somewhere in the middle of that.
0: Well and I wanna make sure before before we start to shift gears to your favorite things that this this time diaries approach. I think that it's easy to start to do and fail if you're trying to take an honest account and inventory of of how you're spending your time. So what are your your pro tips, best practices for for executing this well?
1: Yeah. So I'm a bit of a time management freak. I've actually been tracking my time for more than three years continuously now, which nobody else needs to do. I'll put out there Uh, But I do think it's good to track your time for a week um, to see where it really goes. I use just a spreadsheet that's got the days of the week along the top. It's got half hour blocks along the left going from 5 a.m. to 5 a.m. So if you think about the week, it's 5 a.m. Monday to 5 a.m. Monday and half hour blocks. And I try not to be perfectionist about it. Like I just check in, you know, three, four times a day and write down what I was doing since the last time. And it's okay to just put stuff like work, hang out with kids eat dinner, drive to store, uh, sleep, read. The the goal is not being so granular that you get like every bathroom trip, every time you got went to the kitchen for whatever. It, it's more that you broadly see where the time goes. And just doing that, uh, even with those sort of fairly broad categories, it can still be enlightening. I know in my case, I was spending a lot more time in the car than I thought I was. Because I usually work out of my home office when I'm not traveling for speeches or things like that. And so I don't have a daily commute. And so time in the car wasn't really registering to me as a category of my time. And yet, when I looked at my time logs, it was, it was a pretty big category <laughs> of my time. And, and so that's good to know, because I was just listening to the radio. And I don't even really like top 40 radio, but that was what was on. Uh, and, and so I really needed to think about how can I can spend that time better.
0: Mm-hmm. so with this spreadsheet is it just kind of in the background you just click open the window from time to time on your computer or you print it out and write in it to color coding highlighters how's it go down
1: <laughs> yeah there's no color coding <laughs> it's on my computer on my laptop and my laptop does tend to travel with me so it's not something where it's ever gone very far and because I have the home office it's there on the weekend too so I can just stop in and, and write it down for, for different people you might want to do different things they Time tracking apps might be useful for people who don 't have a situation where a laptop is is very accessible to them big chunks of the time. You could just use a notebook too I mean you know if you want to write down during the week what you 're doing on your work computer and then on the weekend sort of write it down in a notebook and fill in the log when you come back on Monday for instance that would be a, a good sort of compromise between those those things um, so you know it 's really what works for you and, and don 't let the the perfect be the enemy of the good. I get people you know sending me these Time logs that are like, you know, in 15 minutes and they've color coded everything in order to have certain categories that they want to be mutually exclusive and comprehensively exhaustive. And it's like, ah, you know, (laughs) you don't have to do that.
0: <laughs> well, it's so funny when you say MEC. I mean, I, I am a former strategy consultant, yeah. and you're talking about a spreadsheet. <laughs> and so I am thinking, okay, once I've collected the data, how do I go about working with it? I, I don't you imagine that's
1: actually have pivot to table, pie chart. Okay, like <laughs> you right. don't actually have to produce the pie chart, which means that your categories don't actually have to be the MEC acronym. Uh, it, it's fine just to say this is the amount of time I spent in the car. Maybe this is the amount of time I spent watching TV, or this is the amount of time I spent reading. And if there's a Big chunk of multitask time, that's okay. Like, it's just good to know that, too. Uh, you don't necessarily have to try to categorize it per se.
0: Very good. Well, Laura, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
1: No, yeah, I think we've covered a lot of it. That <laughs> was great.
0: Cool. All right. Well, then, can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
1: Well, you know, I actually put a, a ton of, of quotes in off the clock just at the start of every chapter. But one of my favorites um, was at the absolute start, the introduction, or Mary Oliver, who is a a poet, um, most people know her line of like, what do you want to do with your one wild and precious life? I'm misquoting that. So that's not my quote. But she, she has, in one of her poems, she has this line, I look upon time as no more than an idea. I really like that. Uh, that time is something we can maybe think about as an artist might use her materials as opposed to this kind of steady drumbeat marching toward doom, right? Uh, so having this sense of it as an idea you can kind of play around with is, is a lot more positive more positive and implies that you can do a lot more with it.
0: Well, yeah. And, and the notion of an artist and the materials is delightful. It just It just makes you think, ah, what shall I create here? And it's... It has a whole different feel. So yes, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research?
1: So one that I find myself citing over and over again was, I was um, done by, you know, Daniel Kahneman and, and Alan Kruger and a bunch of other people who are sort of known in the, the field of like behavioral science and, and things like that. Um, but they actually had people track through the day um, how happy they were as they were doing different things. And so you, it was a study of like 900 Texas women um, as they went about a day and they would report, you know, if they were happy, if they were unhappy, you know, what what they were feeling at the time. And so you can see like just this hierarchy of human happiness. (laughs) And as it turns out, commuting to work is the low point of people's day.
0: Oh, but not if they listen to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: Well, that's why you gotta listen to podcasts because anything you can do to take, a minute that would be in this absolutely unenjoyable category the, rather, the bottom of human happiness and move it into something that's actually more enjoyable. Well, like that's a huge happiness boost right there. So, so yes, listen to your podcast, listen to great music and, and you'll feel like you have more time.
0: Perfect. Thank you. And how about a favorite book?
1: Oh, uh, I really, I, I have too many to, um, to, to really say, I would say that the one I have reread probably the most frequently is Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse. It's a short novel. It's very lyrical. Um, it's just beautifully written. And I, I've enjoyed reading it over and over again and find something new every time. It's one of those, those novels that, that can be reread and you, you see new things every time.
0: All right. And how about a favorite habit?
1: So I am one of those crazy people who runs every single day. And I've been doing that since December 24, 2016. I have run at least a mile a day. Um, so that's a little over 500 days now. And yeah, I, it's, it's a mile isn't that much. So it usually doesn't take me more than like 10 minutes. And so it's pretty hard to tell myself I can't find 10 minutes to exercise somewhere in my day. Um, but usually by the time I've done the first mile, I'm happy to keep going. So it's it's been good in getting me to run more and thinking more strategically about when I might exercise because if you know you need to run the mile a day, the, the question is not, am I going to exercise? It's when am I going to exercise? And then that's just about problem solving as opposed to motivation.
0: And I'm curious, what was it about that Christmas Eve that made you say today
1: I run. Today I run and I will not stop. (laughs) It was, it was nothing. It was, it was more that I ran that day. And then we were, you know, I was off work. Like we weren't traveling anywhere that, that particular vacation. So I wound up running, I think seven days in a row. And then I was like, Oh, well, I wonder if I just kept going, you know, (laughs) what if I, Continue to. And so this around New Year's as well. And, you know, people often have these New Year's resolutions. And I thought, well, I'll just try it for a while, um, see if I can run 30 days straight. And then I was like, well, let me see if I run 60 days straight. And by the time you've run 60 days straight, you've, you've pretty much worked it into your life.
0: And Laura, is there a particular nugget or, or piece that you share that really seems to connect, to resonate, to get retweeted when you convey it?
1: Well, one of my favorite thoughts for people is anytime you're going to say, I don't have time, substitute the language, it's not a priority because, you know, that's probably actually more accurate I mean, whatever it is. You're saying like, I don't have time to iron my sheets, but like if somebody iron, you know, po- offer to pay you a hundred thousand dollars to iron your sheets, like you do it, it would, it would go up the priority list very quickly. So it's not about lacking time. It's that you don't want to do it. And you know, you may not necessarily want to tell other people that that, you know, whatever it is that they're asking you to do is just not a priority. Your wedding's not a priority. <laughs> your wedding's not a priority. <laughs> but if it's true, it's true. Like own this truth about your desires in life and how you wish to spend your time. Uh, because because using this language puts us back in control of it. You know, it's not the universe keeping us down. We we actually do have many choices, you know. Even even if life is in, in many constrained circumstances, there's often at least choices with small bits of time. And and once we can and start to see that, then often we can expand that sphere of influence over time.
0: Okay. And Laura, if folks want to get in touch or learn more, where would you point them?
1: We can come visit my website, which is lauravanderkam.com And uh, I hope some of your listeners will check out some of my time management books as well. The, the new one off the clock is just out, but uh, there are a few others. Uh, so if you're looking for more time management titles, there's, there's a shelf full. Uh, I can uh, hopefully help you rethink how you spend your time.
0: And do you have a final challenge or call to action? for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
1: I think that being intentional about how you spend your time is really the most important time management tip. Don't show up at work without having thought through, you know, what would make this an awesome day? And that doesn't necessarily mean you will inevitably do that thing that will make it an awesome day. I mean, stuff does come up, but at least having an idea of why this day will be special and memorable and amazing for you uh, can help you be awesome at your job.
0: Well, Laura, thank you so much for for sharing this good stuff. It's it's eye-opening, it's powerful. I I wish you and Off The Clock tons of luck and success and sales and all that good stuff.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much.
0: I really loved Laura's take on the three selves. Oh, so much. And how the present self is a sort of spoiled child and taking control. And you have sort of a ready-made response. And you're like, Oh, I should go dancing. I should go work out. I should go meet up with a friend, but I'm so tired. I don't know if I even can. You can note. Well, Hey, my future self will appreciate me for this. I'll have some energy liberated from this and I'll be more likely and more able to do more good energizing stuff, which I can reinvest all over again to get to a real nice virtuous cycle. So I found that inspiring. I hope it equips you in those moments of I don't feel like it to to dig in and do some of that stuff that will be meaningful and rejuvenating and recharging so you can make the most of your life and your work and be all the more energized and productive and grand. So good. So again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F314. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. You'll hear from Alan Willett making a return appearance and Alan is talking about leading with speed, how it's done, how to accelerate decision-making and more. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.